Imagine you're living 2,000 years ago. You're walking down a stone street in Jerusalem. You live a couple towns over, but every year, you and your family travel to Jerusalem as required by your religious law to observe the Feast of Passover. This is a yearly feast to commemorate when the Jewish people were freed from being slaves and by the Egyptian pharaoh. It's almost sundown. It's the beginning of a new day for you. You're about to turn the corner, climb the stairs, leading to an upper room where you're going to enjoy the feast. This is a special year. You've been asked to have dinner with Jesus of Nazareth, a famous teacher and rabbi. And what you're about to hear about what you think you understand is going to be completely changed. My my name's Chad, and most of you know I'm not used to preaching on Sunday, so I hope you'll give me a little bit of grace today. We celebrate communion every month. We take the bread, we take the wine. We remember how Jesus died for us on the cross for our sins, to save us. And then we go back to our lives. But what I want to talk to you about today is what happened in that room 2,000 years ago. Because what happened in that room started way before that. God's plan was laid out over thousands of years before Jesus was killed on that cross. God moved families. He moved an entire nation just to tell you about his sacrifice for you. What's written down in the Old Testament isn't just a collection of old stories. It's history. It's his story. And in that history, God shows us clues along the way. Every detail in the Old Testament is by design. Every point that God makes when you read those stories has a purpose. And this is all done so that you can see God's plan just a little bit more clearly. The Lord's Supper was given while Jesus was celebrating Passover with the disciples and a few others. The word Passover often means both the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread goes for seven days starting with Passover, and it includes the Feast of Firstfruits, which is the Sunday morning during that week. The communion that we celebrate is an abridged, shortened version of that Jewish Passover. The Jewish day actually starts at sundown, and then goes until the sundown the next day. And this is how Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples the night before. But in our terminology, he was sacrificed the next day as our Passover lamb. When God gave this Passover feast to the Israelites, he expected them to keep that feast forever. There are so many details 
of the Passover. And each one of those all point to Jesus. But I just want to take a look at two of those, the bread and the wine, which are important in the Passover as well as the communion that we celebrate today. The bread and the wine together laid out God redemption plan consistently from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Starting in Genesis 14, after Abraham had to rescue Lot, Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, received tithes and offerings from Abraham, and then he administered bread and wine. Jesus is our high priest, and he administered bread and wine at the Lord's Supper. In Genesis 40, while Joseph was cast into prison, he encountered these elements again of the Lord's Supper. He encountered two people and interpreted their dreams. The dreams of the baker and the wine steward. Joseph interpreted their dreams. And then after three days, the bread baker was broken, killed, and placed on a wooden pole. While the wine ultimately led to Joseph being redeemed. Jesus tells us that the bread is a symbol of his body that was broken for us. And Jesus tells us that wine is a symbol that leads to our redemption. Growing up, my, my mom was raised Catholic and my dad was raised Baptist. It, we, we constantly changed churches. They just had a different opinion of what a church was supposed to look like. And about the time that I grew up and I was getting ready to move out, my parents actually found a Messianic Jewish church. This is a church of Christian-believing Jewish people. So they have a really strong background, a really strong history in that Jewish culture, in that Jewish tradition. A couple of years ago, I was able to lucky enough to experience the Passover Seder, the Passover dinner at my parents' church. It was amazing with the history that they have. You can see how every detail in the Old Testament is by design and how it all points to Jesus. There are many more items that are included in the Jewish Passover and each one shows God's plan a little bit more clearly and how the details of the Passover point to Jesus. Let's take a look at the bread. The bread that they used during the Passover dinner, the Passover Seder, was unleavened bread. That's bread made without yeast. It's called matzah. Historically, they did this because as they fled Egypt... They didn't have enough time for the dough to rise, and then they would bake it in the desert sun. But when you look at the details of Exodus, it wasn't just a thing that they did out of circumstance. Eating unleavened bread was a serious requirement from God and required a serious punishment. God said, whoever eats 
anything with yeast from the first day to the seventh day. He must be cut off from Israel. So what's wrong with leaven, yeast, in God's eyes? Jesus warned us, be on your guard against the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Paul tells us in Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, with sincerity and truth. Leaven in these scriptures is a type of sin. It corrupts by puffing up. Yeast is what puffs up the bread to make it airy and fluffy the way we like it. Malice, wickedness, hypocrisy. Jesus and Paul used the symbols of yeast to represent sin. And who is the one with the greatest sin? The one who is puffed up with pride? Satan. We see this in Isaiah 14. God condemns Satan for his famous I will statements. Satan said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned at the mount of assembly at the utmost heights of Mount Zaphron. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most high. But who is the one without sin, unleavened, of sincerity and truth? Jesus Christ. Jesus actually describes the church through multiple different parables in Matthew 13. He's trying to warn us, warn our, about our future as a church. When he gets to 33, and with the background of yeast, we can understand the lesson. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it all worked through the dough. With our background in yeast, we can see that this is a bad thing, similar to the parable of the weeds. In fact, by Jewish tradition, the Feast of Pentecost prophetically signifies the church. This is a feast that occurred 50 days after Passover, when the Holy Spirit came into the church. This Feast of Pentecost is the only feast where leavened bread is ordained. This is a prophetic view of how the church would operate. Paul in 1 Corinthians said, there must be heresies among you. It was like a requirement for the church. And maybe this is why finding a good church like Hope Crossings is so hard. As a tradition during the Passover, they would, take, they would have a plate that contained three matzoff pieces. Historically, this is the bread of affliction. The poor bread that the Israelites ate in the land of Egypt and then as they fled 
out of Egypt. There are several historical reasons for the three pieces of bread. The rabbis called these three a unity. Some of the early Jewish leaders considered the unity of patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Others explained it as a unity of worship, the priests, the Levites, and then the people of Israel. But we, the church, can see this as the triunity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The matzah bread used in Passover has stripes. These stripes, we can see a picture of the Messiah that was beaten by a Roman whip. Peter asked, by whose stripes are you healed? It's by Jesus' stripes that we are healed. The matzah bread also used during Passover is pierced, meaning it has holes, according to the Jewish law. Jesus was crowned with thorns, nailed to a cross for our sins. Jesus told the disciples and the Jewish leaders of that day that they will look upon those, they will look upon whom they pierced. The middle piece of bread and the stack of three is called the bread of affliction. It's removed and broken. Just as Jesus was afflicted and broken for us. The larger piece is called the afikomen, which in Hebrew means the coming one. It's wrapped in a white cloth, just as Jesus' body was wrapped for burial. The leader of the Seder would then hide the afikomen, and later the children would try to find it. Just as the afikomen was hidden, Jesus' body was placed in a tomb and hidden for a time. And at the Seder, the afikomen will return when the children find it. So the sinless Messiah rose from the dead and appeared before the disciples and many to ascend to heaven. The remainder of the bread was distributed amongst the rest of the table so that they could eat their dinner. The feast, the Seder would commence. But at the end of the meal, after they had finished, the afikomen would be brought back out as dessert. This was the final food eaten during Passover. And they would say a prayer before they ate it. They would say, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu, Melakalam, Hamaz, Limic Minit, Hares, which means, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Just as Jesus broke the bread during the Last Supper, and he gave thanks and said, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The wine. There was actually four cups of wine that the Jewish people would celebrate during Passover. 
They actually got this from Exodus 6, 6 and 7, where it says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. The first cup, the cup of the bringing out, the cup of the sanctification. Before the meal, the leader would lift the cup and bless the name of the Lord by saying, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech halam borez pri hafgan which means, blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. In the same way, Luke tells us that Jesus took the first cup. He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, we'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This first cup symbolizes how God took the Israelites out of Egypt. In prophecy, Egypt symbolizes the world. We can see how these details match up with what Jesus told John. If you belong to the world, it would love you as your own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. The second cup is called the cup of delivery or the cup of plagues. God warned Moses of the resistance that he would encounter. God sent plagues one by one against the gods of Egypt. The second cup was a reminder of God's mighty deliverance, starting with a full cup to symbolize joy. We would remember the full cost of redemption that was purchased. A finger would actually be dipped inside the cup for each time to remember that cost. Blood, frogs, lice, Beast, cattle disease, boils, hail, locust, darkness, and the death of a firstborn. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. But for a greater price, The death of Jesus, our Messiah, purchased our redemption from slavery to sin. Paul tells us in Galatians, you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. After this blessing would be given, they would eat the meal. And after the dinner, after the afikoman bread and the dessert, they would drink the third cup. It's the third cup, the cup of blessing that Jesus used 
when he gave the Lord's Supper. It's this cup that we continue our tradition of communion today. Paul tells us in Galatians, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Just as the blood of the lamb brought salvation in Egypt, so Jesus, our Messiah's atoning death, can bring salvation to all who believe in him. By tradition, Jewish oral tradition is written down in a book called the Mishnah. And one of the traditions for the third cup is mixing warm water in with the wine. They don't have necessarily a reason for doing this. But when we read John, it tells us that a soldier pierced Jesus' side, bringing forth a sudden flow of blood and water. It's with this cup that Jesus raised. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The fourth cup, it's actually a little bit of a mystery. The fourth cup's called the cup of the taking out or the cup of praise. Some believe that the Passover that Jesus took is unfinished. Typically, they would sing the Hillel song, Psalms 117, 118, when the fourth cup is taken at the end of Passover. And some scholars believe that this was actually deferred until we get to heaven with him at the marriage supper. So what does all this mean? As God lays out his redemption plan over thousands of years, he remains consistent. The terms, the illustrations, the illusions remain consistent when we look through the Bible. The Bible that we have, the Bible that we use every day, is our proof in God. When Moses recorded Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, he didn't have the full picture. He didn't have the full picture of God's redemption plan. But in the moment, he trusted God. He wrote down those details, the very specific details that God told him. But even in those traditions of Passover, we can see they're only symbols of their past. But in the New Testament, because of Jesus, we can see how these specific historical details point to God's plan of redemption, point to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ.